Our scripture lesson for our sermon this evening is in Leviticus 23. As we come to the last of these festivals, these observances of the Old Testament, we come to consider this evening the Feast of Tabernacles. So we'll be reading Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 44. And this is the word of the Lord as he spoke to Moses, and as Moses by the Holy Spirit infallibly, inerrantly recorded. So we have here the very word of the living God. So let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's word. Leviticus 23, 33 through 44. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in The fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. May God now bless the reading of his word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in his sight. Well, as we have been considering the feasts of the Old Testament, this evening as we continue with this study, and really come to its completion, we come to the last of the feasts of the Lord which he commanded the Israelites through Moses to observe. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Many have noted that this was considered the most celebratory or joyous of the feasts of ancient Israel. You'll notice also in the middle of the passage that we just read that there was a sort of a concluding thing, and then also at the end, where around verse 37 it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, speaking of all the feasts together there, 
to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, and a grain offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything on its day, besides the Sabbath. So besides the weekly Sabbaths, these other holy convocations, these holy other Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides the gifts, besides all of your vows, so besides their personal sacrifices, besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. So besides those other ordinary things, they had these special feasts. And as verse 44 says, so Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. And of all those feasts, I already just said, uh, many Bible scholars have noted that this was the one that was the most celebratory in a sense. It was the one that that, that, concerned, that, that uh, involved really the, the most celebration, the most joy, the most open fun, if you will. And of course, I think as as a kid, I would have really enjoyed this, maybe not not as much now as when I was younger, maybe some of our young men here with us here, if you, if you enjoy camping, you know, think about that. There was a, a time of year, if you were an ancient Israelite, where every year, by God's command, your parents had to take you camping. Uh, you had to go and live in a, a sort of a lean-to in a, a temporary shelter near the sanctuary. Of course, later on, this would be in Jerusalem, that everyone would gather there, and they had to live uh, in these booths and these temporary shelters and tabernacles and tents to uh, celebrate this time, remembering the time of Israel in the wilderness. This feast took place in the autumn, in the month of Tishri, which overlaps our September and October. Uh, I would, if I had to camp today, I'd probably prefer to camp at that time of year than in the heat of the summer. But uh, Tishri was the seventh month of the ceremonial year. It was the first month of the civil year, as we noted before, so that the first day of the month was the Feast of Trumpets and also came to be known as Rosh Hashanah, as many people call it today, or Jewish New Year. The tenth day of the month was the Solemn Day of Atonement. It was the most uh, subdued, if you will. It was the the time where people reflected on their sin and the gravity of their sin. It was a day of fasting, a day of repentance. But then five days later, after that most solemn occasion... On the 15th of Tishri, this very celebratory Feast of Tabernacles began. So tonight I want to talk about, number one, what God commanded concerning the Feast of Tabernacles. Number two, what the Israelites did around these observances. And then third, Christ's relation to and his fulfillment of the types and shadows of the Feast of Tabernacles. So first of all, what did God command concerning the Feast of Tabernacles? As we've already noted... The feast began on the 15th of the day of Tishri, according to God's command, the seventh month on the ceremonial year, so the sort of sabbatical month, uh, five days after the Day of Atonement. We read about this in verses 33 and 34. Here we see that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Deuteronomy 16.16 makes clear that uh, this feast, the Tabernacles, uh, was the third feast in addition to Passover and Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, at which the presence of all adult male Israelites was required at the central sanctuary. So uh, once the temple was built in Jerusalem, for example, 
Every adult male in Israel was required to come for this feast. And that means, for example, that Jesus, in his time on earth, would have obeyed God's law and gone to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of Tabernacles. As we saw in verse 42 and 43 of Leviticus 23, they were to make tabernacles or booths, temporary dwellings. The Hebrew word is Sukkot. And they were to live in them for seven days. Again, verse 42, starting there. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So it's a declaration that we are the people of the Lord. And we're obeying God and we're remembering what he did in bringing us up out of the land of Egypt and taking care of us in the wilderness. These booths, these Sukkot that they lived in would have been something like a survivalist's lean-to, maybe a tent, but more likely a temporary shelter, usually, according to tradition, made of branches that they cut. They were to live in these for seven days as a commemoration of Israel's time in the wilderness after the Lord rescued them from bondage in Egypt. The first of these seven days was a special Sabbath, as verse 35 says, on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, you shall do no customary work on it. So it's a time of gathering together, a holy convocation, in this case, not in their dwelling places, so it wouldn't have been in Jesus' day a synagogue worship at home, this would have been holy gatherings at Jerusalem. And they would have done no customary work, so it was a Sabbath day, a ceasing from their labors. After those seven days then of dwelling in tabernacles were finished, uh, there was to be another such Sabbath rest and worship on the eighth day. These reminded Israel, these days of rest, (coughs) reminded Israel of the rest that they received in the Lord. And think historically of the rest from slave labor in Egypt in Moses' day. And in Moses' time, it looked forward to the future rest from the wilderness journeys as Israel would enter the promised land. Now, in afterwards, and in Jesus' time, it would have looked back to that. From the first through the seventh days of the feast, Israelites were commanded to rejoice before the Lord using the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. Uh, customarily what would happen is that people would cut these and bring them to the temple and these would be waved by the people as they worshipped in the temple. Also there were special offerings made in the temple at this time. We note that in verse 36 of our reading. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. Now that's about the limit of what is said in this chapter about their offerings, but according to Numbers 29 verses 12 through 38, uh, there were elaborate sacrifices starting the first day with 13 bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs, as well as an offering of flour, oil, and wine, 
and a goat sacrificed as a sin offering. Each day, this was repeated, with the number of bulls sacrificed being reduced by one per day, so that it goes from 13 to 12 on the second day to 11, and so on until seven bulls were sacrificed on the seventh day. Seven being a number that's reflective of holiness and completion in Scripture. On the eighth day, then, now they're no longer required to dwell in booths, but they would still be there for this holy convocation, and there would be one bull, one ram, seven lambs, plus the flour and oil and wine, as well as the goat for the sin offering sacrificed before the Lord. Also, this was known as the Feast of Ingathering. And we see that in our scripture uh, tonight as well in verse 39. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord. So they will have gathered in the fruit of the land. And so this came to be known as the Feast of Ingathering because uh, this was the time when the harvest was gathered in and brought into the temple. And they would have brought first fruits of the autumn harvest in as well. So that tells us a little bit about what God commanded Israel to do at the time of this feast. So next we come to the matter of what the Israelites did around these observances. What uh, did they ordinarily do? How did they carry this out? Well, there were, in addition to the things that we just talked about, several customs that developed in Old Testament times that were in place when Jesus uh, would have himself attended this feast. As the feast looked back to Israel's time in the wilderness, several practices commemorating the events of the wilderness uh, had developed over the years. It was customary, though this was not the command of the Lord, it was customary that water was brought in from the pool of Siloam outside of uh, Jerusalem. For that, that reason, the temple gate coming from that direction was known as the water gate. And so... Uh, if you ever read about the water gate in Scripture, I'm not talking about the hotel uh, where the, the Democratic National Committee once had some headquarters that got broken into during, the, during Nixon's days. Uh, hence, now every scandal is called something gate anymore <laughs> just because of the, the Watergate scandal having to do with the Watergate Hotel, which I'm not sure, probably, maybe it has some reference to this uh, to, to this biblical reality of, of history. But there was this gate that was known as the water gate. So if you ever read in the Bible about the water gate, that's what it's uh, referring to, the one where water was brought in from the pool of Siloam. And the water would be brought into the temple court and be poured on the base of the altar. And this was meant to commemorate uh, God's providing water from a rock in Moses' day, plentiful enough for all Israel to drink their fill while in the desert. Also, at night, it became customary that torches would blaze in the temple as a reminder that God appeared as a pillar of fire by night and of cloud by day for the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. He led them thereby. Each day, The Egyptian Hallel, that is uh, praise, that's what Hallel means, that means uh, Psalms 113 through 118 were sung in the temple. On days 1 through 6, the priests would walk once around the altar, 
and then they would walk seven times around it on the seventh day, just as Israel had walked once around Jericho for six days and then seven times on the seventh day and the walls of Jericho fell when they blasted their trumpets and yelled. Alfred Edersheim says this was an appeal to the Lord to remove the heathen from the land, remembering the destruction of Jericho. So that brings us then to see the connection of Christ. How did Christ relate to these things? How did he fulfill the types and shadows of the feast? We need to note, first of all, that some of these practices represented purely human ideas. Uh, They certainly looked back to things that happened scripturally, but they were uh, rituals of human invention in addition to what God had commanded in his worship, and he had told his people not to add or take away from anything that he commanded concerning worship. Uh, the people were free to choose appropriate psalms. There wasn't anything wrong with singing the Egyptian Hallel. That's normal. But not to add new rituals like the water pouring or the torch burning and uh, that sort of thing to the sacrificial worship. And you'll notice as you read the Gospels, Jesus does make some references to these things, but he never endorses the things that were unauthorized additions to God's word. Rather, he uses them to point to himself. He did speak in ways that refer to these events going on around him and uses them rightly to point to the fact that he is the Messiah and God in the flesh. It was actually during the water-pouring rites, for example, that he declared in John's day, in chapter 7 of John's Gospel, I should say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In other words, he might have been saying, well, you're, you're thinking of the time that Israel was thirsting in the wilderness. You've created this ritual to remember it. If you're really thirsty, come to me. He who believes in me, he says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John goes on to explain that Jesus, when he talked about the living water, was talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying here, no, don't, don't go to the rituals of man's invention. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. And he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He'll receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus used the water-pouring rituals to point to the real need, the real thirst that only he could quench. Related to this, Paul says of the Israelites in 1 Corinthians 10.4, all drank that same spiritual drink, for they all drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In other words, he's saying it, it wasn't just some rock in the wilderness that provided water. It was God who provided water. It was Christ himself, not the literal rock, which provided Israel for Israel in the wilderness. And and while the physical rock would have just stayed where it, where it was, the literal rock, the spiritual rock that provided for them went with them everywhere they went. Think about that also. We've noted this before, that, that Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the Son, the Word, is the one who's also known as the angel of the Lord. And the Lord actually tells Moses that the angel of his presence will go before them in the wilderness. That's Christ. 
Everywhere they went, Christ was with them. And so still, everywhere his people go, Christ is with them. He says at the end of Matthew, I'm with them even unto the end of the age. He provides true drink for his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. It was also around this feast when the torches lit up the temple at night, when Jesus declared in John 8, 12, you know, that's not the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As for the things that God did command to Moses that Israel would do, the ingathering of the harvest as well as the celebratory uh, waving of the leafy branches, that those things point to the great day of the gathering in of God's people in his kingdom and the joy and the celebration of that day when all of God's people will come into the fullness of his kingdom as Christ brings about the fulfillment of his words to Zechariah. In Zechariah 14, 16, the Lord says, Everyone who is left in the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now you might ask the question, and we did this when we were studying Zechariah, uh, why in the world, after the feasts, or which are the types and shadows, are fulfilled in Christ, would God say that at the end of days, all people will come and celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles? I believe that that's actually symbolic of Christ. And just as we see with the other feasts that required the presence of all of the males, uh, adult males of Israel, the Passover, of course, points to Christ, who is our Passover. And then that completes, the time of Passover completes, uh, is culminated with the Feast of Firstfruits that follows the Sabbath day of Passover week. And Christ is said to be the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, the first fruits of those risen from the dead. And then the next feast that required the presence of all adult males was Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. And of course, the Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection was the one in which we saw the first fruits of the nations being brought into God's people. And then this feast of booths the Feast of Ingathering, then points to the final harvest of all of God's people. And so we look forward to a day when its symbolism is completed, when all of Christ's people have come into his kingdom. The decreasing sacrifices that took place as you started with the 13 bulls and then 12 and 11 and down to 7 and then 1 on the 8th day that may even point to the expectation of a coming once-for-all sacrifice which Jesus accomplished, which put an end to all of the Old Testament sacrifices, to their efficacy, because he's the one to whom they all pointed. As the first and the eighth day rests pointed to a rest from slavery in Egypt and the rest of the promised land of Moses' day from their wilderness journey, they also pointed to the resurrection of Jesus and the heavenly rest that he gives his people. There are three Sabbaths, in the Old Testament that are spoken of as the eighth day in Scripture. The first was the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath of Passover week, again the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the Feast of Firstfruits. The second was 
Seven weeks later, also a first day of the week, Pentecost, called the eighth day. It was at Pentecost that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the New Covenant Church. And then the third was this eighth day, not necessarily uh, in terms of a day of the week, because this could happen, the 15th of Tishri could be any day of the week, but you would have that first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and then a seventh day, and Tabernacles ends, and then eighth day, another Sabbath. The concept, then, of the eighth day is part of the theological underpinning of the New Testament Sabbath being now the first day of the week rather than the seventh day of the week. The first day Sabbath looks back to Christ's resurrection and forward to the ultimate Sabbath rest, the ingathering that he will give us in the world to come when all of his people are gathered in to his kingdom. Lastly, as tabernacles looked to the Lord's being with Israel in the wilderness, so we know that Christ has promised in Matthew 28.20 to remain with his church through the end of this age of our pilgrimage in the fallen world. Just as Christ was with them, the presence of God in the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, all through their wilderness journeys, that it would rest on the tabernacle when they were to stay in one place and remove and lead them in the wilderness when they were to, to move. Also, Christ, though we don't see him visibly like that, is here with us, present spiritually in this fallen world as we go through that pilgrimage of this age. Look to Jesus for the living water. He is the rock that gives the water of the Holy Spirit. He is the light of the world. He will gather his people into his kingdom because he has accomplished the once for all sacrifice for sins that these sacrifices were types and shadows of. And thus, he is with us to the end of the age when he will provide our final Sabbath rest at the day of ingathering of all of his people out of the nations of the world. Well, let's pray. Lord, help us ever to look to Jesus, who is the light of the world, and the one who provides the living water of the Holy Spirit for guidance and protection, with confidence in his resurrection, and therefore in the day of resurrection to come, and in the ingathering of all of his people from all of the nations. Grant that we might labor in that harvest ourselves even now, and send, we pray, more laborers for that harvest, as we pray these things In the name of the Lord of the harvest, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.